0: Hello and welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. This is Brian who is having a horrible sneezing fit in Buffalo, New York, and with me as always all the way across the pond
1: is Lauren from Swansea. How are you, Brian, apart from sneezing? You're I know cold I am uh, everywhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best I started recording and sneezing and you were laughing. I will cut that out, but... Uh... <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's it's almost December. It's just a couple days till December.
1: I know. And then it'll be the time of year you get ready, Santa.
0: Yep. As Theo believes.
1: Yeah, he does. He believes in you, Brian.
0: Does he believe Pluto's actually... a planet? That's more important.
1: He doesn't care.
0: What do you mean he doesn't care?
1: If it's not toys or fighting, he doesn't care.
0: Yeah, well. Or women, because we know he's got a thing for the ladies.
1: Oh, my goodness, he does. He's weird.
0: Speaking of the ladies, did you see who accepted an invitation to come on our show?
1: I did, yes. Uh Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, it might be a little bit of a repeat of a little Sarah Beth Hopton (laughs) type of flirty flirt.
1: I tell you, she'll give you as good as you get. Uh, you know, she'll give you she'll get as good as you give.
0: You want to let I the audience out, in on her, her little I secret, will. who it is?
1: It is Lindsay Sivita. Uh She was a volunteer curator at Scotland's Yard's Black Museum.
0: Yeah, that's going to be so fun. And, uh, you know, as as Lauren knows, I've had a multi-year crush on Lindsay.
1: Yes, and, and you've nagged me for ages to get her on the show.
0: Well, yeah, you know, because, you know, I hooked you up with the fellas, so, uh...
1: I didn't ask for any of that. Uh, what about
0: Physics Dave?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, <but laughs> You told me Physics Dave was coming on the show, then showed me a picture.
0: And then you wanted him <laughs> back, and back, and back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's been a while, Brian. He, he will be returning soon. I actually
0: spoke to him the other day. He's been super busy. With, with the COVID lockdowns and all the problems, I mean, they've been trying to get as much lab time in as possible because, you know, yeah. they never know when the universities are going to close the labs. You know, and they're in the experiment stage of their, of their thesis. So if they yeah. lose lab time, I mean, that's devastating for getting your doctorate in cosmology. Yeah. So... He's been pretty much living in the lab, but uh, I-, I talked him into it. He's going to come on. You know what he told me? What? So I-, I called him up, and I said, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the cosmos, and uh, we need Physics Dave back. And he didn't say, oh, thanks, that's great, or hey, what's wonderful, or wow, thanks for thinking of me. He said, yeah, I miss Lorne. <laughs> no, not how you doing, Brian, not what's going on,
2: <laughs>
1: just... No. No, thank you for letting me speak to Lawrence crowd. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, not that. No, it's...
0: Yeah, I miss Lauren.
1: <laughs> I bet he didn't say that. He,
0: he did. My brother was with me, so he could attest to it if he was here, but he, he's not here right now because, you know, we're in COVID lockdown, so he's at his home.
1: Talking about your brother, how is his fox?
0: Well, the fox has moved on. As the sweet sang, Foxy's on the run. No, that's a good thing, because that means they found some place probably with better shelter and warmer for the winter.
1: You know he'll be back in the summer.
0: Oh, absolutely. He'll be back. (laughs) Probably with a family of his own by that time. Like, hey, you guys want to feed my kids' hot dogs
1: I know he he wanted it as a pet.
0: He did. He loved Dr. Foxy, but... um, Foxy's, uh, you know, I hope I hope Foxy's doing good. Um, you know, I got a couple things. I'm well. Whoa, Cleo's being naughty. She's trying to flip my computer over. <gasps> Cleo. That's
1: because she wants the attention from you. Or uh, she's like, I want my own podcast, Daddy.
0: She does. She, you know, she's got a lot to say. None of it makes sense, but she's got a lot to say. Speaking of a lot to oh, say, shit. I am so excited about our guest tonight, Lauren. You're you're from Wales, so it, our topic tonight might even be more glorified for you than it is for me.
1: No, no, I I, I played the horror trail in school.
0: <laughs> so you got dysentery.
1: <laughs> I did, like all of the time. Like you'd be, I just it was just an amazing game because you'd be chortling along, and then all of a sudden, uh oh, you died of dysentery. Like I didn't do
0: anything. Yes. We have Bob Bose Bell coming on our show. Now, for those out there who aren't familiar with Mr. Bell, he's an illustrator. He's an author. He's uh, one of the great historians on the American Old West and Arizona history. You know, he runs the magazine. He's co-owner and publisher of the magazine, uh, True West Magazine. He's hosted, you know, Emmy Award winning documentaries. He's got a whole list of books
1: I wonder if he played the
0: Oregon trail. Oh, I'm sure we're going to ask him. But, I mean, he's got <laughs> books such as, you know, the classic gunfights and uh, the illustrated life and times of Doc Holliday, the illustrated life and times of Billy the Kid, the illustrated life and times of Wyatt Earp. And, you know, he does the illustrations on these two, and they're absolutely amazing. And, you know, we in the United States all grew up with the Wild West as folklore, but I know overseas... It's even more glorified because so many right. generations grew up watching American Westerns. And it's just, it's also amazing because we've talked a lot on the show about Victorian history. Obviously cool. with Jack the Ripper. and When
1: I was back in school, um, it's its a bit different to the States. Um, when you're like uh, 14, 15, 16, you do your GCSEs. And one of the GCSE topics for history was the American West.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, and it's such a thrilling and exciting time. And, and like I was saying, we've talked on this show a lot about Victorian history and, you know, Jack the Ripper. and, But I, I don't think what a lot of people put together in their head is that's the same time period as the American Old West.
1: Yes, I think that was something that was very difficult to get your head around, is that while we were, you know, while things were going on in Britain, you had um, this very different experience and um going
0: on in the Amer in america the donna party as well yeah i mean when you think of london in the 1880s you know you think of obviously jack the ripper you think of you know victorian morals you think of the industrial revolution well you know in 1881 in america we had billy the kid and the gunfight at the ok corral i mean this is the same time period in history and i think it's just you know fascinating to see that uh you know, we're going to go on the American side of it this time. But uh, I, I can't wait to bring him on. It's going to be so much fun. Might have a little surprise for you, too. But that's another story. But we, we should... Um, before we get going on the show, a couple of things that have been bothering me lately.
1: Oh, goodness.
0: All right. So, I decided to rewatch the entire 1979 Salem's Lot miniseries. Do you, do you remember that? The Stephen King
1: thing? Yes.
0: And, uh... It sucked. I <laughs> just want to put that out there. <laughs> it's about three hours and 45 minutes well, of, uh, of, uh, of suck.
1: To, well, to contrast that, I've been watching it. Well, you know, I've been watching American Horror Story.
0: And that doesn't suck?
1: American Horror Story didn't suck. So, Well, we're, we're
0: probably going to get some hate mail about this, but that 79 uh, Salem plot <laughs> miniseries, it sucks.
1: <clears throat> and Stephen King is that like I, I don't care I have money
0: I don't blame Stephen King for it actually because you know I, I've read Salem's Lot I'm sure you've read Salem's Lot it, it's really tough to do something like that justice especially as a made for TV movie in the late 70s so I'm going to give Stephen King a pass on that but uh, yeah, it kind of sucked and I'm, sucked. I know we're going to get hate mail about that but uh, that that that's okay yeah
1: Ugh. Well, to stop the hate mail, we will just say the phrase that sort of buys us a pass in situations like this. This is why people say Brian's obnoxious.
0: (laughs) It it is.
1: It's like every time I say that, I seem to save people sending a hate mail to you.
0: Yeah, you save a lot of carpal tunnel syndrome. A lot of people don't have to type out hate messages because you save me. (laughs)
1: I say, what they feel right? You do. (laughs) Well, talking about Stephen King, my nephews, my eldest nephew more so than my youngest nephew, are obsessed with Pennywise.
0: Well, Pennywise is a pop culture icon.
1: Yeah, but I'm not quite sure it's very good that a nine-year-old has seen both IT films.
0: You're not old enough to remember when... (laughs) The Nightmare on Elm Street series became very trendy and fashionable in the late 80s. I was born in
1: 1986, so I was three.
0: Yeah, you don't remember like, you know, 1988, 89 when every kid wanted to dress up like Freddy Krueger for Halloween. And you're talking little kids all, I want to be Freddy Krueger who was a child molesting serial killer. (laughs) So, I don't think Pennywise is as bad as all that. Uh, It's okay.
1: They do like Chucky as well.
0: Well, Chucky's fun. Um, I didn't like the remake. Um,
1: I, I have to be honest. They're not my type of films. If I, I like horror. I like psychological horror rather than blood and guts.
0: And I, I tend to, you know. I mean, I have a soft spot for some of the slasher films and series just because I grew up with them. Um, oh, yeah,
1: like Scream. Like Scream, I, I, I was in just about becoming a teen when that came out, so, you know, a teen Scream.
0: Yeah, and for me, it was The Nightmare on Elm Streets and the Friday the 13th. And, you know, I have a soft spot. I love them. I love a lot of the slasher films, but uh, I prefer psychological horror.
1: But the thing is, is mostly when I went over to sleepovers, and I... I... And I can only remember going to one. It was more about watching total clips and trying to stop the film at the point where you can see what was in Leonardo DiCaprio's pants. (laughs)
0: Lauren, you are naughty. It wasn't me. Oh, no, no. Innocent (laughs) one, yeah. Yeah, anybody uh, in their 40s and over will remember this. You know, I grew up in the era where... You tried to get the scrambled stations you didn't get to hopefully see a boob. <laughs> if you were lucky, you might think you kind of saw a nipple, but the screen was all fuzzy, but you were still excited. <laughs> yeah, that was the, the that was those were the days in fact, one of the great things about the greatest horror host of all time, Joe Bob Briggs, who I am still trying to get to come on the show. When he hosts his shows, he always gives uh, drive-in totals before the movie starts. You know, how many dead bodies, how many, you know, different things. And one of his subjects is naked breasts. And he would always say, you know, this movie has 13 naked breasts, 12 dead bodies, whatever. And my brother to this day, who hates horror movies, can't stand them because they scare him. says that Joe Bob was his hero as a kid because if there were more than six naked breasts in the total, he would watch the movie because he knew it was worth watching. That was like my, like, brother. I knew a movie was worth watching and no matter how scary it was if Joe Bob said there were more than six naked breasts.
1: So let's, let's, um, move away from that topic now. We can. Have we had... <laughs> well, I when Christmas had... is
0: coming. Then <laughs> we yeah. want to talk about naked breasts.
1: Um... Have we had any um have we had any mail lately saying anything?
0: Yeah, we actually have. We've gotten some really positive feedback on our new logo, our new design.
1: Oh, yeah, that that's very beautiful.
0: People ha- are loving it and uh we actually already have that on a shirt or mm-hmm. whatever prompt you want. So that's been a big hit. Um we did get an email <laughs> Uh, apparently in an episode I made fun of Indiana at one point. I don't remember, but I make fun of a lot of things, so it's very possible. And someone oh wrote no. it and said, how dare I make fun of Indiana? Uh, I think I made a reference about there was nothing to do there before basketball.
1: Yeah, but you said that about loads of places.
0: Yeah, and they, they said, uh, just because of my obsession for Reggie Miller, doesn't mean I have the right to bash Indiana, which kind of freaked me out, because how did they know I have an obsession for Reggie Miller? <laughs> Although I've probably said that before.
1: Yeah, I think you may have.
0: Yeah, so...
1: Was it your mother that wrote the letter? Maybe, just to, like, keep you on your toes.
0: We haven't gotten any negative feedback, really, in the longest time.
1: That's because I address it with you.
0: (laughs) It could be. It could very well be that you address it. (laughs) You know, we did get laughed at. People loved... You know, you give the deep booming today in history, and on that last and that uh, episode, a few episodes ago, mine was like uh, like high pitched. <laughs> people enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, we got a an email about the Halloween show that I forgot to tell you about.
1: Oh, I was asking about the Halloween show because because it's it's like nearly a month ago now, and I was like, he mm, have not said anything about that, and I was like, people would have said something. Yeah, people wrote because that EVP. was bizarre
0: yeah they said that uh that brian is a total skeptic which made the show good that you had half believers half skeptics but how can anybody be a skeptic after hearing that phone call (laughs) that john had i know Uh, well i explained why i'm still a skeptic with that but uh, yeah that phone call really affected people that freaked them out
1: yeah, and I, and I have to say that a few days later, both John and I attended a Houdini seance. And that, that had some pretty interesting activity going on it.
0: Yeah, I noticed that uh, I didn't get invited to that one. Just, oh, John Johnny, uh, Johnny, flirt, flirt.
1: <laughs> he put it up on Twitter. It wasn't, like, privately to me or anything.
0: Mm-hmm. He invited everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: And I invited you, and you are like, oh no, I'm out of the house,
0: so. I am not cock-blocking him.
1: There was thousands of people there.
0: <laughs> yes, I just said I would be a virtual cock-block at the Houdini Seance. <laughs> Send your hate mail in to trans.history.rambling at gmail.com. Or reach out to us on social media at uh, ta history on Twitter, or... Um, What's the, uh, give us the Facebook and Instagrams. Um,
1: Facebook is at History Ramblings. Uh, History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian, that's the Facebook one. And Instagram is at History Ramblings.
0: Any of those you can reach out to us and say, you know, Brian's a misogynist, or why the hell would Brian say cock block at a Houdini Museum (laughs) seance thing? or, (laughs) Or if you want to tell me that the original Salem's Lot didn't suck, come on, let me know.
1: Um, I just have one thing, like Houdini would be very disappointed that you said that because obviously it's all about him at the Houdini
0: sales. Well, yeah. It is all about him, but you know. It's
1: always all about Harry. I
0: don't know. I don't know what John might have been thinking, something something. No.
1: and
0: I'm telling you right now, someone's gonna get jealous.
1: What Cleo.
0: No, I think (laughs) Kurt might be a little jealous. I think Neil might be a little jealous. No, I'm sure they're not. I don't know. Physics Dave might be a little jealous. <laughs> My co-author Dan Murphy might be a little jealous. <laughs> Everybody's a little peanut butter and jelly. You know, we really should go on to our... Uh,
2: <clears throat> what
0: would you think of that one?
1: Uh, I enjoyed it.
0: Alright. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to our day in history, which is um November thirtieth.
1: I'm just wondering if you've got the same one as I have today, because I think we might have hair. Uh, we do share
0: a brain at times. At least we share hair.
1: <sighs> yes.
0: Well mine is from
1: 1487. Oh no, no then. I thought you'd have had this one though.
0: On November thirtieth, 1487, Albert the Duke of uh, Bavaria instituted the first German beer purity law.
1: I did nearly choose that one, because I thought uh, Brian would get a kick out of that.
0: Well, what I love about it is, and this is my fuck you to hipsters the world over, he stated beer should be brewed from only three ingredients, water, malt, and hops. Not all these freaky, funky, bullshit flavors and, you know, pumpkin spice, frappuccino beer... I'm from Buffalo. We we have this thing called Sponge Candy, which is the greatest candy ever invented, and you can't get it except in Buffalo. Other places that sell what's called Sponge Candy isn't. I proved that to Kurt and Chris on the Strange Sessions because I sent them a batch of Buffalo Sponge Candy. And they both said beforehand they didn't like Sponge Candy, but they went nuts on air eating it because it's the best. There's Sponge Candy flavored beer. Fuck that. No. Hipsters, stop adding shit to beer. Beer is beer. I want Beer that tastes like beer. Water, malt, hops, that's it. I am off my um, soapbox now, you may continue.
1: Okay. Mine is from 1753, and founding father of the United States, Benjamin Franklin, receives the Godfrey Copley Medal on account of his curious experiments and observations on electricity.
0: Yeah, Benjamin Franklin had a lot of curious experiments. Was a member of the Hellfire Club.
1: Well, every good person should be a member of the Hellfire Club.
0: Yeah, Benny Franklin, uh, you know, of all the founding fathers, I encourage people to read about, and you should read about all of them. I know in today's society, we want to blame, we want to put today's standards and morals on people from the past, which you really can't do. And, you know, there's, it's very trendy to dislike and really put down all the Founding Fathers now because of today's morals and today's standards. But all the Founding Fathers are very fascinating people. And they, they, the grand experiment changed the world. And, and they're really, really interesting people to read about, but none of them more so than Ben Franklin. If you read some actual true stuff about Ben Franklin, you, you, your mind will be blown.
1: I think the reason that they behaved the way that they did is because they had no television, and I think that's what people should just accept.
0: That we, if we had television back then, everything was okay?
1: Yes. Yeah, they would that. be... But, yeah, so that's why. Everything everything is because of lack of television. Everything? Yeah.
0: Even syphilis? Especially syphilis. <laughs>
1: Well, no, syphilis would still exist because of Netflix and chill.
0: <laughs> you know, all right, Lauren, at that point, I, th- I think it's time that we fire up um, your favorite.
1: <laughs> oh, the interview box. It's the magic interview
2: box.
0: And I'm going to flip the switch, and we're going to come right back on with Bob Bosebell. We're gonna talk about the old West American Victorian Society and uh might have some surprises along the way, Lauren. So are you ready? Yes, please. Alright, here we go. <laughs> All right, Lauren, it worked again. I got him. Ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat tonight because I have the great Bob Bose Bell joining us tonight, who is, first off, a brilliant artist. He's an illustrator that is just, you got to check out his work. It's unbelievable. But he's also an author, a historian, an editor, a publisher. Anything you need to know about the true Old West, this is the guy to talk to. I mean, he's even got an Emmy Award. You know, which I've sadly <laughs> lost many.
2: <laughs> uh, when I hear you do that list, I go, like, wow, that guy is a blowhard. I meant me, not you. Uh, <laughs> i like, bang, man, that, that, that's a guy showing off. I, I would have to take a little exception to editor, even though that's my title at True West Magazine. Because I come, uh, honestly, from uh, the cartooning world. And uh, as you may or may not know, cartoonists need good editors, so it's kind of ironic in more ways than one that I'm allegedly the editor of True West Magazine. The truth is I I have some very good uh, grammar-producing people helping me, so I I need to say that caveat.
0: (laughs) And you are all about the truth, let me tell you that. I, I, I like a lot of people who grew up watching westerns and getting really into and obsessed with the wild west and uh we've talked about it on the show before that you know over in swansea you know lauren's father is a western freak so she grew up on american westerns and you know i'm in new york she's in swansea you're in arizona you grew up actually around it um at what point did you get so interested in the in the legends
2: well, two things happened to me that were uh, very impactful. The first was, um, and I need to clarify, that I was uh, born in Iowa, and my father was, uh, came off a farm, but he got drafted in World War II because of Pearl Harbor, and he got stationed in this godforsaken airbase in Kingman, Arizona, where there was 10,000 GEIs and 500 available women. And my mother was dating uh, captains and lieutenants, and she picked this buck private from Thompson, Iowa. And so uh, my early years were torn between Iowa and Arizona because my father, um, he had a gas station on Route 66 in Kingman, Arizona. uh, Al Bell's Flying A. And uh, every summer, he would pack my mother and I into a 57 Ford, and we'd drive Route 66 backwards to the family farm in Iowa. And so, uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but Route 66 was the coolest road in, in the old days. And I can remember standing on the transmission hump, because we didn't have the seat belts. are you kidding me? And uh, <laughs> I'm looking out the window, and, and here's this, these signs, there would be these signs that go, would go all the way across a mesa. And they would say, Fighting Brothers Gas, 19.9 regular, clean restrooms, world's largest Buffalo and I would go, "Wow," and I would tap my father on the shoulder, and I'd go, "Hey, Dad, can we stop?"
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> he wasn't going style was if you remember that old school, you know about we've got to make time, kid. We got to get back to the farm so we can eat five times a
0: day and talk about crops. Well, he was anyway, an Iowa guy, so he was a, he was a
2: Norwegian on top of that,
0: so okay, he was <laughs> very stubborn. Now, first off, obviously he was stubborn because he bought Damn, a 57 uh, in, Ford instead of a Chevy.
2: He bought a 57 Ford, and then he put a Continental kit on the back. That's a, That says my dad right there. <laughs> anyway, I saw this is the Longhorn Museum, 43 miles east of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, we shot by there, and we and just down the road at Santa Rosa, I said, hey, uh, um, I hatched a plan. I got. We were eating at the Swenson's for the sixth time that day, and I go, uh, hey, Dad, give me one place to stop at on the way back. And he said, well, I will, kid, if I have time. And Rosa going uh, westbound to home. I started poking him on the shoulder. I said, come on, dad, you promise, you promise. And he was shaking me off. And he's got his hands in the 10 and two position and he was passing five, 10 trucks. I can't remember. And finally, he, kid, you got 15 minutes. And so I went running into this museum and I was just, I was just thrilled, you know, and my dad actually stopped and I, so I was in a buying mood and my grandfather gave me a quarter he said buy something on the way back and so I uh, I saw this flintlock rifle I said hey sir how much for that flintlock rifle and he said huh very much and then finally I looked around and I saw this photograph and it said uh, it was a photograph of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid I said how much for that and he said a quarter and so I bought it and my dad then threw me back in the car and he had to get back out on our route six home to Kingman I was studying that pho- that photo I had an authentic photo of Billy the Kid and I got home, and I put it on my wall, and every day before I went to school, I looked at it, and I said, if well, somebody's going to have a hat like that and a rifle like that. And then and while she was getting a prescription filled, I ran to the front of the store and picked up my favorite magazine, which was True West, and I bought the magazine. And on page 32, I discovered that the photograph I bought was a fake. Oh. It lit the fuse. That the, the idea that something was fake turned out it was a photograph taken at a parade in the 1930s in Santa Fe, and they just said it was a real photo of Billy the Kid. And that that I'm telling you, that just lit the fuse. I just. Well, yeah. Because now you have to find
0: um, all the real pictures of Billy.
2: It, it's me right here talking to you. Yeah, and there's, a, there's a, you know a gajillion of them. So we get we get one new one every day. Yeah. <laughs> so it was Billy that inspired you, huh? Yep. Well, that and Ryder. So, uh, here's, here's the second thing that got me. So I, I watched, uh, the life and legend of White Earth. it was my favorite TV show. And one night my parents were going to go on a date and they left me at my grandmother's house. And my grandmother, uh, was from an old ranching family down by Steen's pass. And so she would tell me how we were related to outlaws. And I just loved to talk to her. Well, one night, uh, I said, it was a Thursday night, and I said, can, can I turn the TV on, Grandma? And she never watched TV. She was from that last generation, you know, that they didn't see much merit in the TV. But she had one. Her kids bought it for her. And so I ran over, and I uh, turned on the TV just in time to hear this theme song. And if you remember it, Brian, I want you to sing it with me. It goes like this. her? Brave, courageous, and bold. Long live his fame, and long live his glory, and long may his story be told.
0: Wanted to sing along with you, but everybody would have tuned out if I did.
2: (laughs) Well, you're a better man for valor. I gotta give you that. Anyway. In the middle of that song, my grandmother pointed at the TV and she said Wyatt Earp was the biggest jerk who ever walked the West. And I was just stunned because I'm looking at the TV, right, which never lies. <laughs> and I'm looking at my grandmother and I'm going, wow, somebody's not telling to tell the truth here. This is crazy. And it turned out my grandmother, as I said, was from Steen's Pass. Well, that's about 90 miles from Tombstone. And she was there in 1900, which is only 20 years after the OK Corral line. And she grew up. With the cowboys' version, she was a cowboy. You know, she lived on a ranch, and so all the ranchers in Cochise County, they hated the herbs. Yeah. So that was the second thing that just really
0: drove me. I just went, "Wow, I I've this
2: I, I've got to find
0: out the truth." And it and that's amazing that we had um, Paul Begg, the great uh, European historian, um, on an episode a few you know few weeks ago. And Victorian history scholar, and he was talking about how he grew up obsessed with Wyatt Earp, and that's what got wow. him into history even more than his own country. Yeah, wild! This is crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah. It really, it, it really, uh, it really affected me. I, I missed the Beatles and Ed Sullivan, the hula hoop craze, Watergate. I was in the library trying to figure out what the hell did these guys actually do. <laughs> well. And I've, never, and I've never stopped. I, you know, uh, I, I, it dawned on me about 10 years ago, nothing changes more than the past. Huh. What we believed 10 years ago about Custer or whoever, uh, it just keeps evolving. It's, it's just the weirdest thing. People say, don't you run out of things to talk about when you sum up something? And I go, yeah, well, you'd think, but it just keeps
0: turning. It keeps changing. Everything keeps coming. Well, you keep learning more. That's the great thing about history. And, you know, you always dig up something new. Some people Uh try to dig up things that aren't necessarily true as something new, unfortunately. But, you know, people like you, I mean, your magazine uh, is just incredible. Your books are phenomenal. Um, They're heartbreaking to some people who like the legend more than the truth. But...
2: Yeah, but that's my... Uh, our motto in the magazine: uh, We print the truth, warts and all. You decide. We're we're not we're we're not taking sides. We're th- this is the this is the record. This is what it said. This is what he said, and we'll let you you decide.
0: Yeah, and we're all about that, especially Lauren and I. I mean, we're both historians, and uh, we 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 get bashed a lot for uh, telling people the truth that they don't want to hear sometimes, but. I, I, before we go on to more broader discussions, I gotta ask you about that Billy the Kid photograph that surfaced a couple of years ago, holding a croquet mallet. Or yeah, some,
2: the, the, the so-called croquet photo. Yes. In, anyway, I'm I'm very familiar with the photo. Yeah, in fact, it's in my book, which is at the printer right now. I do a uh, I dedicate a whole page to that. Two pages actually. Is it authentic? Well, it's an authentic photo. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um. Uh, but its uh, I don't believe it's Billy the Kid or any of the other, uh, Sally Chisholm and all the other, uh, Beaudry and all the other people who are allegedly in the photo. Uh, it's a remarkable photo, and he's, he's wearing a sweater, and he looks a little bit like uh, the Billy the Kid. But I, I have friends who think it's him, uh, Buckeye Blake, my artist friend. Um, I quoted him in the book as saying, some of you old boys are going to have to eat a pickle. That's him.
0: <laughs> i i so i, I want to believe it's him at some point but other point i'm like i don't want to picture billy the kid as a dandy with a croquet mallet
2: yeah yeah i get that it, Well, here here's the bottom line on these and i i i get this call almost every week people ever since bill coke paid 2.3 million dollars for the only known uh photo uh tintype of uh billy the kid back in 2011 um everybody's finding a photo, and they want me to um, ordain it. They want me to confirm that it's him. And, of course, I, I can and, and when I tell them, you have to have the provenance, and by provenance, that is, we know it's Billy the Kid because uh, Pat Garrett had that image in his book in 1881, six months after he killed him. Yeah. And Billy gave one of the uh, ten types, there was four, uh, to his good friend Dan Diedrich, and Dan Diedrich uh, kept it in the family, and in 1986, the family donated it to the Lincoln Heritage Trust. And there was a whole bunch of shenanigans went on uh, in terms of, uh, oh, it went back to the family, and they took it to Brian LaBelle, who does the uh, Old West auctions, and they auctioned it off in Denver in June of 19, uh, 2011, and I was there, and Bill Koch, in about two minutes paid two point but paid two million and there was a 300,000 uh, uh surcharge on it you know uh on the photo so it was 2.3 million so everybody uh that that's perfect provenance you know you have a um the guy that gave it to him uh it's in it's in pat garrett's book you know that's solid everyone else wants to back it in they want to say oh i bought this in a flea market it was in the place where this happened yeah well says who you know, says the guy who bought it at a flea market and wants $5 million for it. That's the problem.
0: How did you feel being outbid by $1 on that photo for $2 million?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> You know, it
2: was like the oxygen was sucked out of the room. Uh, picture this. It's a, uh, a Denver Merchandise Mart, big, you know, mall type of uh, uh, place, civic center type thing. And so they had uh, an auction and it started all day and they're selling saddles and they're selling Indian flutes and they're selling p- posters and they're selling, uh, all sorts of, uh, equipment and rifles and guns. And, uh, I believe it was lot, 263 or something like that, you know, and they have been going all day and things are selling for $5,000, $250, $800, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden they got to the lot and, um, they announced it. And, uh, Right. They, can we see? Can we get a hundred thousand? I think that was the opening bid. And within forty-five seconds, it was above a million. We'd done a cover story saying, "Would somebody pay five hundred thousand dollars for this tin?" We didn't think anybody would pay anything north of five hundred. We thought that was in a stretch. And so then it went past one, and it was on its way to two, and you could just feel that. I've heard of this my whole life, but the air was electric. You could just you could just feel like it was a a, a herd of buffalo going off a cliff. It was just outrageous. And when he said, sold, um people stood up and started cheering I mean it was just the craziest damn thing. And so I went over to him and I being a smart ass, I said, Are you going to Disneyland? <laughs> he said, No. <laughs> anyway, that's my story. I uh
0: <clears throat> I do a lot of stuff with like sports memorabilia and stuff like that. And I was at a convention one time. And there was a bunch of items that were going to be going up for auction. And you could look at them. And it was really great vintage stuff. And one of the things they had there was <clears throat> one of Babe Ruth's bats. It was authenticated. The provenance was there. They had all the information. And they even said, here, if you put these, you know, put the white gloves on, you can hold it. And I'm standing there holding this bat. And the guy tells me, yeah, we expect it to go for around $1.5 to $2 million. My hand started shaking, realizing I shouldn't be touching this right now. (laughs) It's going for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Billy um, plays a big part in in a lot of your work, which, you know, obviously he should. He is, I tried to explain in the intro for for, for this show, the legends have become more truth than the truth. Billy is a really mysterious figure. Can you kind of, you know, for, 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 For Lauren's sake, for the audience's sake, just kind of give a brief description of the real Billy the Kid.
2: Well, that would take a longer program, but let me try to give you the Cliff Notes version. And and I've wrestled with this for, you know, half a century. And uh, the the nearest I can distill it down to in terms of the lightning in the bottle is that he's the all-American boy and a cold-blooded killer. And those do not match up, but they're like a a poles of a battery. You know, you have a minus and a plus, and they're worthless apart, but you put them together and it creates a spark, and it runs a car or runs a generator, whatever. And that's really what's going on here, is that the he's so uh, relatable in a... If only he hadn't had such a tragic life, and his mother died when he was just a boy, and he hadn't fallen in with some rough men, and and the governor of New Mexico gave him a raw deal, uh, and then on the other hand, there's he's involved with some really, you know, some really questionable uh, shootings and, and and things, and then you get the legend on top of that where he um, killed a man every year of his life, you know, 21 years old, and. He had 21 notches on his gun, and how'd you like to be with, New Year, with Billy the Kid on New Year's Eve, and he hadn't met his quota yet, you know, it's like, You know, so you get all of that piled in there. But um, he's just so such an enigma, and then you get the fact that we don't even know where he was born. You know, the legend said he was born in New York. He told a census taker he was from Missouri. Uh, New scholarship shows possibly he was born in, uh, or he was uh, raised in Utica, New York, uh, he first shows up on the census, or his mother does, and his ki- her kids in Anderson, uh, Indiana, and then uh, we see they see them in um, Wichita, and then they go to Denver for a short time, and then they are married. Uh, she's remarried in uh, Santa Fe, and then the trail becomes a little clearer. But we don't even know. Uh, there's so much we don't know about him. Okay, and so, but that's that's part of his power is the fact that he. Is this really kind of on the edge of reality? And yet he was a real person. And um, the, but the real the real magic in the story is he was forgotten after his death. He was he was more like a, a local crime figure that kind of made national news because he killed his two jailers and escaped. That made the New York Times small story. Uh, but then he was forgotten, just kind of like a you know a, some local criminal thing. Uh, and we go, we fast forward now to 1915, and uh, of all things, Pancho Villa attacks Columbus, New Mexico, and a, a crime reporter from Chicago is assigned a story, he takes the train, comes down to New Mexico. He follows up the story in El Paso. He wants to get a beer, so he goes into Coney Island Saloon. He's drinking a beer. He asks the bartender, uh, what's that gun hanging over the bar? And he said, well, that's the gun that killed Billy the Kid. And Walter Noble Burns says, who's Billy the Kid? <laughs> and the guy goes, he was the most famous outlaw in this area. And he says, well, that's funny. I've never heard of him. And so then seven years later, he's thinking about it, and he goes to visit his sister in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he borrows her car and drives out to Fort Sumner and interviews Paulita Maxwell and other old-timers. And he ends up publishing a, one of the first Book of the Month Club books in 1920 four, I think five, and it's called The Saga of Billy the Kid, and that is when Billy the Kid is reborn. And there's been 67 movies about Billy the Kid since then. And what I like to say is, his real name was Henry. How many movies would you go see about Henry the Kid? Henry! Henry's a real
0: bad dude. Well, I probably would. I did go see Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, so. There you go. Yeah.
2: But anyway, so I I, I don't know how. It, it's hard to pin down because it is such a crazy story. And be, and I think the two poles of the story are he was an all-American boy and a cold-blooded killer. And that does not, you can't get your arms around that. It's, it's too much of a, contra, a contradiction. And that gives it his power. If we knew everything about him, and it turned out that he was vindicated, and he lived out a life as a rancher, nobody would know who Billy the Kid is. You know, and I'm, there's
0: there it is in a nutshell. I'm glad you said his name was Henry too, because that's another thing. It's so the William H. Bonney thing has become such a big deal. People like who 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 want to brag that they know something about old West lore, like well, you know, Billy the Kid's name was actually William Bonney no it really wasn't even that's fake
2: yeah yeah we don't even know where he got that yeah
0: i mean it's just the legends are just so outrageous it, I...
2: yeah and this is this is this is one of the big ones and of course i'm uh head over heels uh with the herbs and and doc holiday and and the and the tombstone story i i love that as well but my first love is billy the kid and uh, I set out to do, this is my third book, it's at the printer right now, and I, I called it The Final Word, and people are already attacking the old, you know, the, the pompousness that you think this this is the final
0: word of Billy <laughs> the Kid, and I said, no,
2: this is my final word, I've had it, i have <laughs> done, that. this is my final word, and... Um,
0: trust me you're uh, yeah. talking to lauren and myself who both work in um jack the ripper research in books
2: yeah <laughs> so
0: everybody's got the final word but we both yeah, always yeah. claim so, mm, no, there's no such thing maybe the final there word is, we well, say that,
2: that that's the joke that's the joke is yep. there is no such thing and but this is my final word and i i stepped out on a limb on this one i, I there's a lot of things about the story that I was just tired of repeating because it, everybody has to repeat them. I said, you know what? That's BS.
0: It didn't happen. Yeah, but Paul Newman did play him, so that's pretty damn cool. Well, and that's, now see, you know, that was supposed to be James Dean who's going to play yep. the left-handed
2: gun, and that was in the 50s when we had uh, Blackboard Jungle, and people thought that being left-handed was part of the reason for juvenile delinquency, and somebody looked into the photo of Billy the Kid, and they said, well, he was left-handed. That's what's, That's why he's a bad guy. And it um, turns out that uh, some woman probably was looking at the photo, and she said, you know, I think the buttons are on the wrong side of that coat there. I think that photo is reversed. And then when they went, oh, yeah, look at the loading port on that Winchester. He's actually, his gun is on his right hip. Oops, there goes the movie.
0: That's okay. Most people forgot that anyway when they talk about Paul Newman films, although I love that movie. As, as historically inaccurate as it is, I, I love that movie. I think that's true a of a lot
2: Billy of movies. Oh, uh, bum 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 bum! Not not. I mean, I've there there are elements of um, movies. Uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. There's parts of that that are. Uh, you know what I love about Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid is um, when Chris Chris is as Billy the Kid kills Ollinger and um, uh, escapes. He tries to mount a horse with his uh, leg shackles. And the horse bucks him off. And they actually show that in the movie. I know that's just one of those little details where you just go, man, thank you. I, I just, you know, most people would not think that was worthy of even a scene, but I just love that when people show something like that, you know? And so th- those are the kind of things that, uh, uh, trip my trigger. And I, um, there's, I'm trying to think of, uh, other birds. Ver- I thought that, uh. Val Kilmer did a great job in Gore Vidal's Billy the Kid, which was the oddest title of all of them. <laughs> Gorvidal and Billy the Kid is, yeah, is wow. like, <laughs> like oil and water. It's like that
0: does not go together. That is a non sequitur. <laughs> but you gotta love Gore Vidal, because all of his things were Gorvidals, except Caligula. Yes. That somehow his name got dropped from that one. Um. So you've mentioned already that your other big obsession uh, of the era was you know, Tombstone, the OK Corral, and the Earps and Doc Holliday. Now, as you said, the TV show was such an inspiration on people who grew up tall, bag, loving Wyatt Earp. Who do you agree with more now, your grandmother, or your or the legends?
2: Well, I I I get in a lot of trouble. I've I've, I've been in speaking engagements where. Uh, there, there are people who just love Wyatt Earp, obviously, and uh, uh, and I've had people come up and get in my grill, you know, because uh, I'm not enamored of him, and I, I certainly see the other side of it, uh, because my family are all from the ranching side in, in Cochise County, and so I, I certainly get the other. Side. He, he was very human. He was well. I, I would like to do a book on their last outlaw town, which was Hollywood because he ends up there yeah you know in Los Angeles and um I love this quote by um Zane Grey Zane Grey said I won't say that everybody in the movie business is a crook but I will say that everybody in Los Angeles who's a crook's in the movie business <laughs> <laughs> And that and Irv just fit right in there he was a grifter he was you know he was arrested for con games and uh, he worked both sides of the law, and there's an old saying, old Carol saying, that there's a thin line between catching an outlaw and becoming one. And, uh, you know, another version of that is uh, it takes an outlaw to catch an outlaw, you know. It takes a rough man to, to, to take, uh, catch another rough person. So they're, most of those old birds were more alike than they were dissimilar.
0: Oh, yeah. And they would
2: find the rest of us as kind of snowflakes or, <laughs>
0: we, you know, I don't want to use the pejorative term today but you know what i'm saying no i i do and and, and, it, and it's it's funny my initial background in history and my proper field of expertise is boxing and boxing history And so many of these figures got involved in the fight game um yeah through yeah. carson city was,
2: uh, he was probably more famous in his day for allegedly throwing that fight in San Francisco than anything else
0: absolutely wider bat masterson these people all got involved in boxing when boxing was very corrupt yeah and they were so corrupt I mean so even the quote- unquote good guys were pretty bad figures yeah of course don't you think that's true of everything
2: now? <laughs> the older yeah. I get older I get I go God, is there anything left that where there isn't the fix isn't in? I just it, it's just so shocking that you, no. you just you feel like you're tr- overturning a rock and it's like everything out, crawls out from under it. It's uh, it's uh, disconcerting sometimes. Well, you know what it is It when it when, whenever there is an act of, of real heroism or somebody really does something good, it makes it that more much more profound because. So much of the world is dark and the underbelly of everything, and, uh, and that makes it even more fantastic. I, I find in my research that I find people who are, are just absolutely wonderful people, and they're, they're not remembered. In fact, I, I just uh, finished a book on Geronimo, who I did not like. I, I thought he was just so brutal. It's just crazy. But there were people in that story who were absolutely uh, fantastic um people who went to bat for him and tried to uh, uh get him a better reservation it was it was just and, and they lost their career over it and and that's who should in my mind who should be celebrated and unfortunately we put uh halos on killers and give them virtues and uh you know skills they never had that that's to me to me that's the pr- the problem with most hero worship is Uh, The wrong guys are remembered. You know, we never remember the victims. You know, we remember these killers with halos.
0: Yeah, it's one thing I always complain about with quote-unquote ripperology, that I hate the term, that I've been involved with it for 30 years, and I hate the term because it's almost like we're glorifying the killer and ignoring the victims or the police or the people that did all this great work.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it gives
0: one pause. But with the old West. Yeah, like but with the old West, you know, we've become so conditioned that they're either, you know heroes or
1: outlaws.
0: Yeah. That you never look at it as there really is no such thing as just a hero or outlaw. I mean there were some bad people that were just bad people in the old west, obviously. But you know, people's characters have a little more depth usually.
2: Yeah. Yeah. People often ask me, um, uh, my family, uh, claims relations to Don Wesley Hardin. My uh, family came out of Texas and there's a Hardin's in our, uh, genealogy. And so I grew up on that with that story, but I, he's never, uh, um, he's never been attractive to me, Don Wesley Hardin, because he's seems closer to Charlie Manson to me. He's just a cold blooded kill. I don't, I don't like him. And, uh, I have, I have a hard time with a lot of the, uh, people like that i I just no i I, the thing with billy is there he actually had some good and he got a couple raw deals and so it it keeps his humanity in the forefront uh and you can argue about it well you know i i could i could certainly make a case that he was um awful you know you could you could line up the facts that way here's another thing i learned is the truth is not facts lined up and that was a big lesson because uh, the truth's more elusive than that, and you. And here's the other, another thing I learned is that people say, "Well, I talked to Pat Garrett's, you know, uh, son, and he he told me the truth about that." And I go, "You know, that's nothing against Pat Garrett's son, but but what family? The family knows the least, okay? Because the family's operating on myth. Uh, we have these myths about our family, and they're always good." You know, we don't walk around talking about the bad and we talk about the good things. And what father ever set their son down and said, yeah, we had these gals and we were out in this cornfield and, man, we got to go. You know, like, your dad's not going to say that to you. He's, uh, he's, 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 like, you're going to say, Dad, did you kill somebody? And you go, nah, that's just BS. Who told you that? You know what I mean? That That's what a dad says. So when people say I talk to the family, I go, yeah, well, you might as well have been talking to the cows because the family knows the least.
0: This is why Lawrence says I should never have children (laughs) because I would be saying, oh, (laughs) with my 20s. I don't remember them because I was drunk the whole time, but. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I I have a question for you, Mr. Bell, That's, that's rather personal, but are you assigned that hat when you become an official historian for the Old West? because I always see you with the perfect hat.
2: <laughs> I, I wish that I had a video camera here to show you. I own somewhere north of 150 hats. Oh. I am what you might call a crazy hat person. I've always loved hats. I inherited all my grandfather's hats from the farm, and also my other uh, uncles. Uh, my, I call them my kingdom cowboy cousins. Anyway, I've got a ton of hats. And uh, I've got a dress hat. I've got a workday hat. I've got a uh, camping hat. Uh, I've got a driving hat. Um, I'm, I'm nutty about hats. And Let's 145 one. others. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> now, are any of them like berets or? Uh...
2: Oh, I've got I've got a beret. I was in, I was in uh, I'm a hat nut. I love hats, man. I got a piss helmet. I I was in France. Um, uh, tracking down Vincent Van Gogh, and um, we were in Arles, which is where he painted his uh, sunflowers and uh, fantastic. You know what? You know what's fantastic about it is, as an artist, i was just stunned at what he chose to paint. There are there are scenes of you know, Starry Starry Night is on the it's on the river there, and and you can stand where he stood when he painted it, and that's pretty exciting. But you'll look off to the left and you'll go, "Oh my God!" There's these Mediterranean villas that are 1600s, and you're going, "God, why didn't he paint there, There's a whole genre of painters who paint just that. Yeah. But he painted the bri- He painted the bridge. You're looking the other way and you go, "God, what did he? What did he see in that?" Well, that's part of his genius. And anyway, um, I, I'm wearing a cowboy hat in France, and you know the number one phrase I would get: "Hey, cats!" <laughs> that's number one, which which pisses me off because I'm from Arizona. And I and I can't correct everybody in France, but they're all, hey, ticks you know, that's number one. And then Yahoo is number two. Okay,
0: <laughs> Not Yippie ki um,
2: Yeah. And then when I wear my beret, my friends call me the Pousse Cowboy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, I wear a beret all I don't know if you can run time. that, but that's what they say. I've been wearing a beret my whole life. Um, years and years and years and years. It's like the only hat I wear. I always wear a beret. Everyone wonders why, and it's because when I was a little kid, I saw Groucho Marx on Dick Cavett wearing a beret, and I thought it was cool.
2: I, wasn't he cool? Yeah. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, that, and that was just, that's an artist, man. That's, yeah. that's an artist to be able to pull that off.
0: But I don't have 150 of them.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you're not know, as nutty as I am.
0: And you know what I think is really cool? I mean, this is, like, beyond cool, that we have two Americans on the show today. Because when you said Vincent van Gogh, you could actually hear Lauren sigh, because any time you have people from Europe on, they want to correct you on the pronunciation. Yeah, Vincent van Gogh. Yeah. No, you know what it is, Lauren? Van Gogh. We're Americans.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I had somebody, uh, I, I went to the Netherlands, he uh, um uh what's that little town he grew up in I, i'm embarrassed i can't think of it right now i I'm specifically went there just because he spent time there and i had them and they pronounced you know and, and i said please uh, say it again so i can get it and it, it's got a guttural twist a uh, uh uh hitch in there that i cannot get it's just like it sounds like vincent van Gogh. And there's a little, little gurgle glot in there that I can't get. And is that an American thing? We can't get it.
0: Nah, I think uh, I think they do it on purpose. They changed it just to piss off Americans. Well, that that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, that no one likes us. But you know what? We don't care. <laughs> oh God, I love it. And I'm a New Yorker. I care even less than you from Arizona.
2: Yeah, I know. I know. You know, I was. Um... I went to the uh, New York comic con in 1980 and I'd never been to New York. And then six months later I got a movie deal from my uh, cartoon character, honky tonk Sue and Goldie Hawn was going to play her. And so the next thing you know, I'm, I'm in Hollywood and I, and I'm a Kingman kid from Arizona. I'd never been to either coast. I'd never been to New York. I'd never been to California, but when I got to California after having been in New York, I went, oh, I get it. I get it. There are a lot, a lot of New Yorkers there, of course. But in um, New York, people don't have time. Yeah, yeah, tell me, tell me. Yeah, go, go, bye, get away. <laughs> you know, that's New York, okay? But when you get to California and, and Hollywood, people are so nice. They're too nice. It's like It's like a vicious nice where they're so nice that you're smiling and then you look down and your arm is gone.
0: Yeah. It's what I always tell people why *Curb Your Enthusiasm* is such a brilliant show, because it's not about Larry being a jerk or getting in bad situations. It's just a New Yorker in LA. There you go. That's the, yeah, whole, that, that's the whole show. The, uh, that, that's the pitch to the show: a New Yorker in LA. That's it. Oh my God! Now, I um, I do want to go back to the OK Corral. For the just for the reason that we have done a lot of shows uh, on this podcast about Victorian history, and like I pointed out uh, earlier in this episode to Lauren, that people don't realize when they think of Victorian times, they always think of. You know Victorian London and smog filled streets and cobblestones and Victorian morals and you know the the factories and and the smoke. But the gunfight at the O.K. Corral was the same time. It was the same years. It was Victorian society, just in America. Yes. And yeah, that-
2: no. You the, the Victorian uh, mores and uh, uh, well, certainly the clothing and and all all the mannerisms and. And uh, culture uh, was layered right over the top of that. I think it's what makes it so exciting in the old West genre, because you, you've got a very primitive um, culture in the middle of nowhere, and it's very Victorian. People uh, don't realize that at the um, Birdcage Theater, they were they were hungering for Shakespeare. They you know, they really liked uh, that Victorian culture. It was very, very uh, sought after. And, they, and the food was very sophisticated. I've got menus from Tombstone, you know, and they're um, uh, having duck and lamb and uh, oysters and <laughs> all this, like, really slick cuisine, a European cuisine, really. Uh, and, but you wouldn't buy that in the movie. You know, you'd rather, you, we want to believe that it was more like um, the man who shot Liberty Valance with big steaks and beans and, and stuff. Uh, but it was very victorian, you're absolutely right
0: and that's and that's another thing I love pointing out to people is the Victorian morals were there, and yes, you had people Sassy. yeah, people in Arizona in Texas that were trying to live up to this standard and yet across the pond, there they are reveling in you know Wild Bill's Wild West shows and living this quote unquote American fantasy in their theater, yeah. Um, it's just such a weird parallel to think that these are the same times.
2: Yeah, it's mind. And now uh, here's an here's an here's another little Victorian tidbit for you. You'll love this. So, I'm doing research on uh, the OK Corral fight, and Ike Clanton spent uh, about 10 hours drinking in one of the 66 saloons in Tombstone, a town of 10,000 people. Guess what the second most popular thing to do in Tombstone was? <laughs> and so i um in the testimony it says um yeah i saw um ike clan and he he was in kelly's wine rooms and i'm going kelly's wine rooms what the hell that sounds like something in new york or so you know what kelly's wine rooms so i went out to the hayden library in tempe and they had all the uh, newspapers from tombstone on cane poles and i had to put on white gloves and i had this give them my driver's license, and I'm sitting there at a table, and they're bringing out these newspapers. And my theory was if I could get to uh, a week or so before the OK Corral fight and I could find an ad for Kelly's Wine Rooms, maybe I'd give an idea of what the place looked like. So that was my theory. And they brought out several newspapers, and I struck out there was nothing in them. And then finally, about the fourth one, they brought it out, and on page five, I discovered an ad for Kelly's Wine Rooms. And this is what it said. 26 imported wines from Europe, imported beer from Colorado called Coors. Uh, The favorite drink of the Cowboys is a gin-fizz toddy. (laughs) 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 They've never heard of rot-gut whiskey. This is ridiculous. This is a a Tony
0: Victorian wine room. They talk gin. That's
1: amazing. I drink a cowboy drink. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. L- yeah, Lauren, how about that? You drink cowboy drinks, huh?
1: I drink a cowboy drink. I'm so cool now.
0: <laughs> so, the gunfight itself, which is so legendary now, uh, tell them how long it lasted. Well, uh,
2: we don't know an actual. Uh, it was less than 30 seconds. Yeah. I, I just call it 27 just to be... Uh, uh, put a number on it so you can kind of grasp how long it took. It was basically a misdemeanor arrest gone awry. And as I like to say, if you're going to go make an arrest, a misdemeanor arrest, do not take a drunk dentist
0: with you. That That's
2: moral <laughs> number one.
0: Yeah, but you see, I take a drunk dentist everywhere with me.
2: Yeah, well, see, so then, uh, I don't know.
0: There you go. Yeah, 27 seconds. That has spawned countless movies, and books, and adaptations. And like you said, it was a misdemeanor arrest, but it really is that significant to explaining the time. I mean, yeah, that is. Well,
2: but once again, portrait. That's, that's Walter Noble Burns. Walter Noble Burns invented the good bad boy, and that's Billy the Kid. And he uh, created. You can draw a direct line from Billy the Kid to James Dean to Elvis Presley to Kurt Cobain. That that's. He invented that character, the good-bad boy, okay? And then he turned right around, and he went to L.A., and he was looking for something else, and he interviewed uh, Wyatt Earp, who uh, wouldn't uh, let him do a book on him because he um, uh, had somebody, a mining engineer, that he had committed to doing a book, which was horrible, by the way. And so Walter Noble Burns said, well, let me uh, write a book on your friend Doc Holliday. And so the book comes out, uh, Tombstone, the move, uh, the book, and um, the chapter inside is called The Lion of Tombstone, Wyatt Earp, and that's what sets Wyatt Earp off. Wyatt Earp was not famous at all. He was infamous for throwing that fight yeah. in San Francisco, and nobody knew who he was. And all of a sudden, two years after uh, Wyatt Earp's death, when Law and Order comes out and you get the, the movies coming... Um, he's standing shoulder to shoulder with uh wild bill hickok and he wasn't even known so it gives hope
0: to the rest of us that after we die somebody's going to f- write a book about us and we're going to be damn famous why it wasn't even really that major a player in the battle i mean he just basically didn't get hurt yeah and yeah, he had that
2: knack and the kid also had the knack the knack wouldn't the kid's knack was never be first in a parade uh when they when they ran out of the um burning house in the McSween fight called The Big Killing. He was fifth in line. And uh, let the other guys go first, and they'll, they'll draw the fire, and then I can escape. And on December 19th, 1880, when he uh, came into Fort Sumner and Pat Garrett was waiting in ambush, he was fourth in line. Wyatt Earp was a pretty savvy provocateur, He uh, and he survived, you know. He's probably a pimp. Probably all be we, well he was, not probably. He was— and, uh, you know, he was shady, and but he ended up in the last outlaw town, and he became uh, a hero after the fact. There well,
0: because he wrote his own legend at that point.
2: Yeah, well, he didn't write it. I mean, he couldn't write it. Here's, here's, here's the second yeah. thing. You need a good writer, okay? Now, Wyatt tried to, if you've ever tried to read the book he's trying to write with a mining engineer, it's horrible. It's awful. You can't, it's unreadable. Okay, and that's his version. It took Walter Noble Burns to spin that into gold, and so you need a good writer, man.
0: Yeah, and
2: just uh, hope for you,
0: Brian. Well, you know that's you know I try to be a good writer. the you that seriously the the amazing thing about you, books, and you are such a great writer, is because you have the balls to go out there and say, look, here's the facts. I'm not printing the legend. I I'm just printing the I'm printing the facts, and love them or hate them, here they are, and when you read your books, you can't not love it, because it's just so damn good. Now, I haven't read the Geronimo one, that I will admit. Um, I do have that on order, though, and I can't wait for the new Billy book, but... Um,
2: yeah, I think it's certainly... Uh, the I, I stepped out on a limb. I, I had a, a, well, a long story short, um, Billy Gibbons is ZZ Top, you know who that is?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, he um, saw my stuff and we ended up going to, out for Mexican food here in Phoenix after their show. And um, he uh, started calling me late at night and he was—he—he he said, I, I'm intrigued by Billy the Kid and this painting of yours on uh, a, a carita in every plaza was the name of the painting. And he, he says, I'm writing this song you want a co-writing credit. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I mean, yes. This, this, this is blowing my mind, okay? I mean, this is like, i just like, are you kidding me? But what it did, what the experience did and being around somebody that's that creative is it opened me up to be more lyrical about the kid. Uh, I, and so this book is much more taking on another element of the story. For me, it's, A line like, uh, blood on the moon, dust in the grave, where do you go when you need to be brave? And that's my story, because the the Billy the Kid that we're all enamored with is on the moon. It's a a character that doesn't even exist on the earth. And there's dust in the grave. We don't even think Billy the Kid's buried in Fort Sumner. Okay. But where do I go when I had to be brave? To be like Billy the Kid. So is that a bad thing? No, that's a good thing. He gave me courage. Just beholden to the facts here. You can you can take flights of fancy, and if it's true, if it's if it's honest, if it's in the crosshairs of what who you are, people will, will know that. People can sense authenticity. People can sense when somebody's being honest and not blowing smoke up their ass. Yeah,
0: and and, and, and we appreciate that. At least people like me who care about history and the truth. Now I have to ask: Now that Billy's at the publisher. What you're doing next? Because you're a workaholic. You do so much. I know you've got another project coming.
2: <laughs> I've got two projects. One is Wild Women of the Wild West, which uh, is my next uh, timeline book. I'm doing that with Jana Bombersback, who's uh, writes a column for the magazine, longtime friend of mine, and um, I'm backing her up on that because uh, she needs to be told by a, a woman, a feisty woman, and that's what Jana is. And then I'm also, my second book that I'm going to work on this summer, is uh, next summer, is uh, The Illustrated Life and Times of Pancho Villa. And uh, I'm going to do the, I'm going to take on the Mexican Revolution, where uh, 1.5 million Mexicans lost their lives in that war, 10-year war. That's more than all the wars that America's fought, put together. If you take all the Revolutionary War, Civil War, Vietnam, World War II, World War I, we have not lost 1.5 million people. That's so insane. Yeah, and then the characters are bigger than life. It's just, it's just crazy. Oh, uh, but yeah. I, but as you probably know by now, Brian, I love the crazy. Yeah, well, <laughs> we
0: all love the crazy. That's why Lauren does a yeah. show with me. She loves the crazy. Yes, yes I do. Yeah. Now I want to go back to, really quickly. I know we're, we've been on for a while, but I, I just want to ask one question because Lauren is one of the world's leading experts and is actually working on the definitive story of the women's suffrage movement in the UK during this time. What Interesting. What if anything did the the did the women of the Wild West have to, you know, thoughts on the suffrage? If you
2: know, well, yes, well, and once again, it's a conundrum. I and mean, you had women that were uh, uh, the most liberated women on the planet in many ways. And yet they uh, were against the Equal Rights Amendment that that in my own family. And I've always fought, found that to be uh, slightly odd, uh, so, uh, incredibly interesting. Um, and I, I just think um, I, I just my my mother came from a family of five. Girl, five girls. She was the middle child, and so I grew up. And we go to Christmas, and uh, the, all those guys were, all those women. They were all rodeo queens and ranching girls and horsemen people, and they all married uh, roping champions. And, and and there was my father, the farmer from Iowa. <laughs> so we're at Christmas, and so I just remember being in awe of these of these really wild and strong women. And I thought, you know, at some point I need to do a book on that, and that's what this book's going to be.
1: Hey, were phenomenal. Uh, I mean, the women especially.
0: And and, and and like you said, they did show strength and perseverance and power. And there's a, I don't know if it's if it's fact or fiction, but it's always been said in my family that I'm I'm distantly related to Annie Oak, which has always been something we bragged about because you know, being a New Yorker, you don't expect that, but. Yeah, in Wales or the UK in general, Lauren, do they ever talk about the strength of these women?
1: No, I, I would say it was not something that came up when um, I studied the um, the West when I was at school. Um, it was, you know, it was the basic manifest destiny, um, the Donner Party, and here, you know, play on the Oregon Trail. So,
0: yeah, all right, Mister Bell, did you play the Oregon Trail game?
2: i have not i've seen it i haven't
0: played it don't play it because you'll just get dysentery
1: yeah you'll do nothing and (laughs) get dysentery everybody died awful dysentery
0: yeah but we are gonna let you go because i know we've gone over what we said we would but please let us know when the billy the kid book hits the shelves because i will be getting a copy of that and um do you think you could come on again when the next book, especially The Wild West Women, is uh, about to be published? Would you be uh, willing to come back on and talk about it with us?
2: Oh, heck yeah. You know, I love talking to you. It's fun to talk to people who are as passionate as I am about history and eclectic people. So, yeah, anytime uh, your place is good as mine, come see me.
0: Oh, beautiful. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you
2: very much. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: All right, Lauren, how about that?
1: That was fantastic.
0: I love talking to people like that, who, like I said, they cut through the bullshit. They're like, here's the fact. Here's the truth. You like it. Great. You don't like it. Too bad.
1: And I and I want to know, is Did You Play the Oregon Trail going to replace Pluto? As the question
0: <laughs> <before>? <laughs> did you get dysentery playing the Oregon Trail? I, I do want to let people know that Lauren was silent during a large part of that interview because her computer stopped working, people. We weren't silencing her.
1: Yes. <laughs> no, um, microphone issues.
0: Yeah, Lauren vanished for a while, but we are so <laughs> glad she's back because what a topic with that Wild West women! I might be something you might want to look into.
1: Was that my surprise?
0: It was. <laughs> it was, I, but uh, I think I that's a topic. I was very surprised yeah I think that's something that you might want to look into for your for your book. I mean, because look what was going on in America with these women. It's a it, or for a separate because, project
1: it would have uh, yes, to say. it would have to be a separate project because this is the suffragettes in prison, yeah, and the American suffragettes um did go to prison, and they had their own version of the um of the of the badge that um of the the British suffragettes had but it wasn't the it wasn't the women of the west that went to prison that was more washington and new york
0: no i so just it would think be
1: interesting to see while that was going on what the frontier women were doing
0: that's what i mean if you could get into some research on you know these strong powerful women they were gunslinging women you know there were these lawless women there were these tough women. They were these, you know, saloon-running, or, I'm sorry, wine-room-running women. That tickled me. I know! How about did the, the cowboys
1: drink foof drinks? Oh, they weren't foof drinks when um, a cowboy was drinking them. But you do... But the thing is, is gin is a recurring theme throughout the throughout the 19th century.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. It's almost as, uh, as, uh, as common as syphilis. <laughs> I think there's something to be said there.
1: <laughs> That's why we need Robert Anderson to just come in and give us a take on it.
0: <laughs> oh, Robert, you are welcome on any time. As you know, we're waiting to hear from you. But uh, yes. Bob Bowes okay. Bell. People, you got to go to his website. I'm going to put a link to it in the description because not only for He's his stupid. books or for True West Magazine, but check out this guy's art. I mean, he is brilliant. And his hats. That's a lot of hats. Yes. Well, what do you say, Lauren? You think we should call it a night?
1: I think it is definitely a show, and I've got to get up early because it is my day in university tomorrow.
0: Oh, boy. Well, we're not here. We're we're going to be in lockdown, so...
1: Ooh, we, well, we're not in lockdown, but um, it's a, uh, probably by the time this episode...
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. By the time this airs, we might not be in lockdown.
1: <laughs> Yeah, um, we, we've been told in Wales that uh, these mini lockdowns are something that is going to happen sporadically until we get a vaccination um, yeah. plan. It's a bit strange, this year has gone so fast, but it's been a bit of a wipe out of a year.
0: Yeah, and you know, this uh, we're going to be hebb- heading into our Christmas episodes. But, I mean, that's how close we are to the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but before we even get talking about that, I think we're going to leave it hanging. We're going to yeah. call it a night. So thank you again to the great Bob Bose Bell. Indeed. Uh, for, yeah, for joining us. And from Brian in Buffalo.
1: Lauren in Swansea.
0: Good night.
2: Good night. <laughs> Well, no, syphilis would still exist because of Netflix and chill.